Good morning, Calvary Church. I miss saying that. It's been a long time, so it's really nice to say it again this morning. It is great to see you all. Uh, it is just a joy to be here. Uh, it's been a little bit, and, and uh, I just want to tell you, uh, we've got another uh, child coming. Both of our other two boys were born here. Uh, and that, that just speaks to so many good memories we have from our time here at Calvary Church. Uh, if you don't know me, uh, me and uh, my wife were here for about four years. I was the minister to families, and uh, you all have been just such a huge part of our life. We have so many good memories of this church family, and we're treated so kindly and with so much love. So it is just a, a pleasure to be back here today. Thank you for having us. Um, unless I've been greatly misinformed which it's Kendrick, so he might have been playing a prank on me the whole time. You guys are going through the book of James this, uh, this summer, correct? Uh, it would have been really funny if he told me, yeah, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, prepare that one, and left me hanging up here, but it sounds like he got me in the right spot. Today we're going to continue that series by looking at James chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Um, The book of James, as I'm sure you guys have heard from much better preachers than me, uh, is about the relationship between our faith, what we believe, and our works, the way that we act, uh, the the way we live our lives. James is showing us that a genuine Christian, a genuine believer who's been changed by the gospel should live like it. They should live like they have been changed by the gospel and its message. Uh, It's showing Christians how to live wisely based on what we know to be true about Jesus. And so James is often called wisdom literature, has a lot of similarities to Proverbs. And this is especially true in chapter 3. James chapter 3 is going to talk about living wisely as a Christian with our words, with the way that we speak to other people. Uh, This is a, a passage famous for talking about taming the tongue and how difficult that can be. So let's read together. This is going to be from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And we'll see what God's word has for us this morning. My bookmark didn't work very well. There we go. All right. This is God's word. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you all know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so they obey us, we guide our whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather as your people, uh, to fellowship together, to sing your praises. And we pray you would teach us through your word this morning. 
Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your eyes. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, a lot here about how we speak and how dangerous our tongue, our words can be. Uh, We're going to break this down into four lessons from this passage on taming the tongue. And we're going to see six different images, different similes or word pictures that describe the way the tongue acts and how it can be difficult. So, four lessons along with six different images that are going to pop up. The first one, the first lesson we see here is that words require self-control. Words require self-control. I didn't give Donnie any slides, so that's my fault, not his. And so I'll try and say these things if you, if you can't write them down. Words require self-control. And this comes from the first two verses. This passage opens up, James begins by addressing teachers and those who would aspire to be teachers and warning that not many people should aspire to this role. Uh, the role of teacher from the very earliest days of the church, not necessarily a formal position like pastor, but just some Someone who is uh, tasked with the responsibility of teaching the church has always existed, and it's always been a very important one and a very respected position. Uh, There were those from the earliest times who were to study God's Word in the earliest days, that was the Old Testament, and explain it and teach from it for God's people. And and eventually they would also study the teaching of the apostles and the stories about Jesus uh, and expound that to the church as well. This is what eventually became the New Testament. And so these are always have an important role informing the church and teaching them how to live, and were, were shown a lot of respect. And so it would have been natural for people to aspire to this position, to aspire to teach people from God's Word, uh, both for good and bad reasons, to aspire because they, they love to study God's Word and teach, and to receive that respect that would have come with that position. James warns them not, that many people should not aspire to this, Not because it's a bad thing to aspire to, but because it comes with great responsibility and it comes with great risk. Why is this? Well, because teachers, James tells us, must give an account for all of their words. A teacher, one who stands up and and speaks with authority, especially of something as important as God's word, will have to give an account of everything he teaches, especially everything he teaches them about God and what God tells us to do. They will give an account of all those words to be judged by God. And James tells them that they will even be judged by a stricter standard. These are important matters, and so they cannot speak carelessly or thoughtlessly or without concern for what their teaching will produce in other people's lives. A teacher, by job description, is going to spend a lot of time talking. And so the more words there are, the more speech that's given out, the greater chance of using that speech incorrectly and carelessly. So this is a stern warning. The more you talk, the more opportunities you have to misuse your words. Therefore, we should be cautious about becoming teachers and speaking about the Bible, speaking about what it has to tell us for how to live our lives as Christians. Now, James isn't going to stick with teachers, but he uses this as a jumping-off point to talk about the importance of our words for all Christians, for everyone who follows Jesus. The way that we speak is very important and requires that we use control and restraint in the way that we speak. Teachers might have more responsibility and more opportunities to misspeak, but all Christians uh, use our words. All Christians speak almost all the time in all of our interactions with other people, and and James is telling us we must use self-control with our words. 
Self-control is a, is a huge part of Christian wisdom. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit that Galatians 5 mentions. When we are filled with God's Spirit, we will be people characterized by self-control. Uh, what does this mean? It doesn't mean that this is some sort of, uh, you know, really strict practice, like if we really just, you know, put a lot of discipline and a lot of practices and a lot of good effort into it that we will always do exactly what we want to do. It's not some kind of works trying harder, uh, but rather it, it means we speak and act how we intend to, not carelessly, not flippantly, not in a way that we would turn back the next day and say, oh, I shouldn't have said that, or oh, I shouldn't have done this, or I shouldn't have used that tone, but that we would be able to stand by the things that we say. We say, yes, that's what I meant to say. Yes, that's how I meant to say it. Self-control, the Bible tells us, is a gift that comes from God. It, it comes as a character of being filled with God's Spirit. And so really, self-control is a way of saying that we are Spirit-filled or even Spirit-controlled. In the book of Ephesians, Paul tells them that they're not to be drunk or, or, or losing control of their body to the effects of alcohol, but instead they're to be filled or even drunk on the Spirit. The Spirit is to be the one influencing their actions and their words, not alcohol or not sin or anything else in our lives. This is the kind of self-control that is necessary uh, for followers of Jesus, particularly in our words. So that's the first lesson here, that words require self-control. This brings us to verse 3, when we see why words require such self-control. Lesson number two is that words are powerful. Words are powerful. We see this in verses 3, 4, and 5. Uh, words can do a lot. Uh, words seem like there's something small and inconsequential, and a lot of times we'll respond with words to people without giving a lot of thought onto what we're saying or what consequences it might have. We just kind of speak carelessly, but words carry great power. Words communicate information, they build friendships, they enable us to cooperate with others. Words can warn of danger, they can share our emotions, and really almost any interaction we have with other people is done with our speech, with our words. And so anything that involves other people will be communicated primarily with our speech. This Everything we do involves words, and so they, in some ways, are actions. Words are our actions put into verbal form. We are affecting the world, and we are affecting others with the way that we speak. And James is going to use two images to show us this. The first of our six images, he says that the, wor that the words we use or our tongue that, that speaks our words is like a bridle in, in, the, in a horse. Now, in, in their time, a horse was just about the most powerful thing you could use to get a job done. They didn't have, you know, all of the equipment that we would use, uh, trucks and things like that. So for them, um, a, a horse is basically a bulldozer. You know, that's the most powerful engine that they've got available to them. And this big, huge, powerful horse, far more powerful than any person or worker, how is this, this powerful creature controlled? Well, it's just this little tiny bit that goes into their mouth. I apologize if some of you are really into horses and know a lot more about them than I do. I don't, but I know enough to say that you want to tell a horse which way to go. You put a little bridle on them with a little bit in their mouth, and two little strips of rope can tell them this way or that way. And, it, and it's fairly simple. Much less force than the horse has can be used to, to tell it where to go. A very small thing can control a very powerful thing. And the second image he tells us, think of the uh, great ship on the ocean. They had very large ships in their time uh, that would go around the Mediterranean, these big ships that could hold hundreds of people. That huge, you know, two-ton wooden vessel, how was it controlled? 
we'll buy a small rudder that would direct the boat, and you can move with just a little bit of a few pounds of pressure on an oar. Uh, today, this is still true with a huge, large tanker ship that's untold tons. How is it controlled? Uh, there's a small, in comparison, rudder that moves the boat around. A huge, powerful, gigantic thing can be directed by something very small and seemingly unimportant. He's telling us this is how our tongue is. This is how our words are. It might seem small, but these tiny, little, insignificant things change the world around us. They create great ripple effects. They move and change everything. So just as our actions must be directed by the Lordship of Christ, so also our words. We're kidding ourselves if we believe that we haven't really done anything when we speak. And this is our temptation sometimes. Say, well, it's just, I just said something. That didn't really do anything to another person. That's not, really, that's not really a thing I did. I can't really be held responsible for the things I say. It's nothing. No, James tells us our words matter. They are powerful. And they require our self-restraint, our self-control to direct them. Lesson number three. We have words require self-control. Words are powerful. Number three, in verse, the second half of verse five, it tells us that our words are destructive. Our words are destructive. There's a famous saying that probably if you're a parent, you've told your kids or told each other. It says, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me, right? Uh, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's what the Bible says. I believe that in our own experience, we have all been hurt by someone's words. And probably we have hurt someone else with our words. We haven't hurt them in the same way that you hit someone with a stick. Don't hit people with sticks. But also, know that our words can cause damage, can cause harm to other people. In verse 5, we get the third image that James uses. This one really illustrating the damage that our words can cause. He compares our words to a small fire or a little tiny spark that can set an entire forest ablaze. And in California, we don't need a lot of imagination to think of this idea of a small spark launching a giant wildfire that burns acres and acres and homes and can erase a small town from the map burned away by these uncontrollable wildfires. That's the image he's giving us here. I remember a few years back, I think down south a little bit from here, there was a fire caused by a gender reveal firework, right? A little pink firework to say, oh, baby girl. And it lands in the brush and burns and and just burns and burns and burns untold destruction and, and billions of dollars of cost by such a flippant, careless, dumb mistake, right? That's what James is saying. Our careless, dumb little word mistakes can set a huge blaze, that can destroy more than we could ever imagine. In verse 6, he gives us probably the harshest verse in this passage. And I think that James is not speaking metaphorically. I think he's really warning with every, with every way he can. He wants Christians to understand that the stakes he's talking about are life or death. This matters. This is important. Uncontrolled words are an un, or an untamed tongue leads the whole person towards evil. And they can set our lives on fire, destroying us and the world around us. 
When we speak evil, our harmful words pull us into sinful behavior. And he continues this image of fire, of a wildfire, saying that these words not only burn the land around us, they, they catch our entire body on fire, that we ourselves are burning with the effects of our careless, of our sinful words, that it burns ourselves, it destroys ourself, and it pulls our entire body, all of our actions, into sin, into self-destruction. When we are speaking evil, when we are speaking carelessly, it can pull us into sinning with our actions, sinning in our relationships. And he compares this fire that, that consumes our body to even the fire of hell. What is he saying here? He's saying that when our words are used for evil, when our words are used for destruction, that we are aligning ourselves far more with hell than with heaven, much more with Satan than with God. When God speaks, it is always what is true. God's words are life-giving. They are creative. They, they build up rather than tear down, and they are always true and wise. Not so with Satan and his words. Satan is in name. Satan means deceiver. He is the liar. He uses his words to pull others away from God, to lead them into evil and to destruction. His words corrupt like acid. They, they burn like fire. And when we speak carelessly, when we speak with sin-laced words, we are speaking as the devil speaks. We are inviting the fire of hell to burn our lives and burn the lives of those around us. This is, this is very serious, obviously. When we start throwing around this idea of hellish fire and, and, and alignment with Satan and his purposes, there is no greater warning to how serious this is. Our words matter. They have great power. And when they are used wrongly, they create untold destruction. In verse 7, James continues by giving us his fourth image. An untamed, an untamed tongue is like a poisonous wild animal. He tells us that there's all kinds of creatures in the world. There's, there's in the land, in the sea, and in the air. Uh, but all of these animals are able to be tamed by human effort and human ingenuity. And even in their time, the Romans were famous for having these Colosseum games with elephants and with lions and with eagles and even filling up the Colosseum and, and putting in crazy fish and things like that. They could tame the most crazy wild animals that you might encounter in the world, a, a lion or a crocodile. They could tame those and control them. But he says that taming the tongue, controlling our words, is more difficult than taming a lion. It's more difficult than taming an alligator. It's more difficult, and, and it is just as destructive. And, and he compares our words used wrongfully, used destructively, to this kind of caged, injured animal. And there's nothing more dangerous than an animal that is wounded and caged and backed into a corner. It'll slash, and it'll bite, and it'll drip its, its poison into whatever comes close to it. That's destructive words, slashing, ripping, cutting, poisoning, whatever comes too close. Angry, out of control, lashing out. These are an untamed tongue. When we don't control what we say, when we don't use restraint and speak with holiness and wisdom, then our words burn and poison ourselves and others. Lies, gossip, insults, these things destroy friendships. They create enemies. It, they can convince others to go into sin, to do what is wrong. It can ruin relationship and break people down. These are the effects of the power of words used wrongly. 
Words are powerful, but without self-control, they are destructive. And truthfully, I think all of this we kind of know from experience. No matter how much we want to tell ourselves that our words, it didn't matter that much, it's not that big a deal, we have all experienced the, the, the collateral damage that comes from words. We can all think of a situation we've been in where another person's careless speech caused us harm caused us pain, caused us difficulty. Someone spoke wrongly about us. Someone let confidential information go to the wrong sources, the wrong people. Someone spoke ill of us. Someone used sarcasm or insults or, or outright you know, profanity or whatever it is, these hard words to cause us difficulty, to lower our reputation in the eyes of others, whatever it might be. And if we're really, really introspective and we really think back, I think all of us can think of a time when our words have caused harm to another person. The Bible speaks over and over again about the, the damaging, sinful effects of slander, speaking what is untrue, gossip, speaking what is true when we shouldn't be speaking, lies, insults, sarcasm. These are tiny sparks that can start great fires in the lives around us. Words can be destructive. All of this is really a portrait of sin, of the way that sin spreads into every area of our lives, even into our words, even into the smallest areas, and it destroys what can be good and uses it for evil. This brings us to the final lesson here, lesson number four. Our words reveal who we really are. Our words reveal who we really are. In the final four verses, James tells us that our words show us in reality. They remove all the pretense, and they show our heart. They show what's inside of us. Even when spoken carelessly or without thought, our, our words don't come out of nowhere. They, they come from what's inside of us. And, and although it might be possible to put up a pretense for a time, to try and impress someone by speaking and acting in a certain way, over time, our track record of our words and our actions show us as we actually are. At a certain point, uh, this is an old basketball saying, you are what your record is, right? You might say, oh, there's been injuries on my team, or this, this, that, all these excuses, but at the end of the day, you are what you are. You are what your record has put out there. You are what you have said. You are what you have done. This is what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 12. This is verse 33 through 37. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's talking to the Pharisees, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Our words, like our actions, are the overflow of our heart, who we are at our, at our deepest, most true level. The truth eventually comes out in what we say and what we do. This brings us back to where we started this passage, by the, the higher judgment that teachers are, are to face. That doesn't mean that all of us will not stand before the throne of Christ one day and give account for all of our words and all of our actions. This is what James says in his fifth and sixth images. He's condemning hypocritical speech 
speech that tries to conceal what is inside, speech that is not uh, perfectly aligned, that our speech and our actions and our hearts don't match together. They don't, they don't belong together. He describes first a fountain or a spring. He says that, that a good fountain from a good source will produce fresh water, but it won't give fresh water one minute and then 10 minutes later pop out some salty, bad, muddy water and then go back to the spring of fresh water again. A spring gives what it is. A good spring gives you good water. A bad spring gives you bad water. And then he makes the same point with a fig tree. He says, fig trees grow figs. I'm not a farmer, but that makes sense to me, right? A fig tree makes figs. Uh, an apple tree gives you apples. An orange tree gives you oranges. And if your tree is giving you kumquats, it's not an apple tree. You know what I mean? Like a tree is the fruit it gives. There's no hiding that. You can tape with duct tape an apple onto an orange tree, but that don't make it an orange tree. That's my farming knowledge. That's how it ends. I don't know anything else. But that I know. Uh, this is what he's telling us. The fruit shows us the source. It tells us what something really is. What's his point? His point is that it is nonsensical for Christians to bless God with their words one minute and then go and curse their neighbor. It is nonsensical. It makes no sense that a Christian might set the world ablaze with careless, sinful words and then turn around and try and speak the truth of the gospel to Jesus Christ. These things don't match. This is something that the book of James over and over talks about. It's called double-mindedness. What does that mean? He means that half of your mind is, is with Christ and, and speaks and acts according to Christ and his standards. But the other half over here, this is where I get to talk however I want to and I get to do all of the things I used to do. I get to live like the world lives. James says that doesn't work. There's no two halves of your life. There's no Sunday morning face and then Friday night face. There has to be consistency. There is not to be double-mindedness, two-facedness. You have to have one face, one life, one way of speaking that is shaped and formed by the gospel. Our old way of living and the new way of living in wisdom in Jesus Christ can't mix. They don't belong together. If we spew out angry, rude, lying, uncontrolled words, it reveals a problem with our heart. A heart that is still full of anger and disrespect and lies and brokenness. But if we are speaking with kindness, with truth and respect, with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and yes, self-control, then we reveal a heart that loves God and has been transformed by the power of the gospel. God is truth and in him there is no lie. So his people, people who follow Jesus, must speak like Jesus would speak. If knowing Jesus doesn't change the way we talk, then there's a problem. We all need to know Jesus and know we need him to change our hearts and change the way we speak. We're going to circle back to the idea of a renewed heart and a renewed speech, but it, it is worthwhile to stop and say, well, how do we try and put this into practice? There's a simple sort of a rubric to, give our, to help us practice self-control in our words. A couple questions we can ask ourselves before we speak. We can first ask ourselves, is what I'm about to say true? Christians are those who speak what is true. Our God is a God of truth, and in him there is no lie. And, and so what I'm about to say, is it true? Number two, we can ask ourselves, am I about to say something that is necessary? This is another way of saying, is it wise to say what I'm about to say? slander, or not slander, gossip is usually true, but it is always sinful, and it all is always damaging. 
There is a way to speak the truth and to claim a sort of, uh, you know, willingness to say what no one else will say that is just not holy. It's not sinful and it's not wise. It's speaking what is true in a way that is foolish and harmful and destructive. By asking what it, is it necessary, we say, does this build up others? Does this encourage others to follow Jesus in their life? Is it good and true and pure, filled with faithfulness and wisdom, not just truth? And the last thing we can ask ourselves is, is it kind? Is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Jesus tells us that the world will know we are his people by our love for one another. Do we speak to others with love, with a genuine desire for their well-being and not mine, with a genuine desire to see the name of Christ made great, not just in our truth, not just in our wisdom, but in our kindness and our love. We should speak with truth, with wisdom, and with kindness. These are all ways that Christians should speak with self-control. But now as we pull all these together, these different lessons about the, the power of words, the destructiveness of words, and, and the way the r- words show us what's inside of us, it can be tempting, as with the whole book of James, to go away saying, well, I'm going to try much harder today. I'm going to go and put these works into practice so that God will think better of me and think me more holy and more righteous. But that's not what our takeaway should be from the book of James. If, if our words reveal our heart, and if our words are not matching the wisdom and truth and kindness of Jesus, that means there is a problem not just with our words, there is a problem with our hearts. If our speech is not holy, it means we need a renewed heart. Jesus didn't come merely to tell us that what we are doing is wrong. The Bible does do that. The Old Testament, part of the law and part of the wisdom of James, shows us where we don't match It shows us where our lives aren't holy and following Jesus. And that is an important step to realizing our huge need for Jesus to change our lives. But it's not the only point, and it doesn't leave us there telling us to do better. It tells us there is one who did tame his tongue, who practiced self-control in everything he said, who spoke only with grace and truth and wisdom. Jesus lived this perfect life. He spoke the perfect words, and he died on the cross to apply that perfect record to you and to me. When we follow Jesus, he changes our heart. And the beginning of any wise speech, of any wise action, is coming to the realization that I need Jesus to change my heart. And I need to come to him empty-handed and say, I need you to transform my life. When Jesus has renewed our heart, when the Holy Spirit gifts us self-control, then our words can have a powerful impact for good instead of for destruction. The power that's in our words can be harnessed for the right purposes. This is what Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. These are words that have been redeemed and put to their right purpose. They no longer curse, they no longer tear down, they no longer destroy, but they confess the name of Jesus. And by that confession, we are saved. By that confession, we show the truth to the world around us. 
Our words become life-giving. They become pure and sweet water that, that f- causes everything around us to flourish. Our words become life-giving. They become gospel-communicating. And with our redeemed words, we become part of God's work to renew creation around us. And so His church, the people of God, become people speaking truth, speaking redemption through Jesus into the world around us. This is our goal. This is what God has for His people. So pulling us all together, remember our words are powerful. Remember that when our words come from a sinful heart, they bring great destruction. But through a new heart given by Jesus and by the self-control of the Spirit, our words have, have a power to be part of God's redeeming work in the world. So Lord, help us to speak with wisdom and truth for our words to match the reality of the gospel. These things we can do in Jesus by his spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to come to your word and to hear words that are perfect and good, words that are life-giving and can transform our lives. I pray that you would help us to speak as Christians in the world. Help us to have wisdom in the way that we interact with others. Father, we praise you for a sweet time of fellowship, to be together, to hear your word, and to sing praises to you, Father. Help us, as always, to walk out of here as your people, ready to bless the world around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you, Father, and it's in your name we ask all of these things. Amen.